Side Hustle Show 327. This is how to get unstuck in your business. Six levers to pull to break through to the next level. What's up, what's up? Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show because with a lever long enough, you can move the earth. Hat tip to Archimedes for that one. And we all run into ceilings or plateaus or obstacles in our business, and it can be really frustrating to try and break through. The answer to that, my guest argues, is leverage. Yes, we're taking it back to high school physics in this one. And as you'll hear, leverage comes in several different flavors. Which lever you pull depends on the specific problems you're facing. But I want you to think of this as a framework for business growth, a systematic way to level up your business, your life, and ultimately your wealth. I'm excited to welcome my friend Todd Tresseter to the show today. Todd runs a site called financialmentor.com and flat out is one of the smartest guys I know. His claim to fame when it comes to wealth building is taking his own personal net worth from less than zero at 23 to self-made millionaire and retired at 35. His latest book is The Leverage Equation, How to Work Less, Make More, and Cut 30 Years Off Your Retirement Plan. He's got a really unique perspective on business and investing, and our conversations over the years always get me thinking a little bit differently. Stick around in this episode to hear Todd's six types of leverage and how you can apply those as needed. My goal for this episode is to equip you with just a few ideas or tweaks that could put your side hustle on a different trajectory. Notes and links for this one are at sidehustlenation.com slash Todd, T-O-D-D, along with a full text summary from our conversation. One of the types of leverage we're about to dive into is time leverage, that is multiplying the hours you have in the day with the help of other people or technology. And along those lines, I want to invite you to join me and the 24 million other people who are using our sponsor FreshBooks to save time on our bookkeeping and accounting. FreshBooks is the number one invoicing and accounting software designed specifically for side hustlers, freelancers, and consultants. It's fast and simple to use. I've been a customer for years now. Side Hustle Show listeners can try it free for 30 days with no catch, no credit card required. Hit up freshbooks.com slash side hustle and enter the Side Hustle Show in the How Did You Hear About Us section to get started today. I'll be back with my top takeaways from this call with Todd after the interview. Ready? Let's do it. The surprising thing is that if you look at how people get rich, there's a lot of research on how the rich got that way. And at the levels of super rich, you know, like the Forbes 400, it's almost 100% business asset class. And then even at the level of normal wealth, financial freedom, but how normal people have it, a few million, whatever it is, it's almost all through business asset class. That's the primary one. Secondary is real estate. And the third asset class by which wealth is built is paper assets, but surprisingly, it's only after a lifetime of compounding your wealth. In other words, it's really kind of a form of old age financial independence. So if you're happy trading an entire lifetime following the conventional plan, then it's a workable plan. If that's not what you want to do, if you'd like to have financial independence earlier than old and you don't really want to retire, you just want to achieve financial independence, you have flexibility in your life to do what you want to do. Then you want to look at the other asset classes and you want to look at alternative strategies. And that's what we're here to talk about. That's what we're here to talk about. Absolutely. Trying to shortcut this wealth building strategy. You're right. It, it works here. Take your 7 8% over the course of 40 years. The math works. But if you want to accelerate that, you're going to need something that can move a little bit faster, that has a little bit more upside potential. And 
that has maybe a little bit more leverage opportunities, which brings us to today. We've got six types of leverage to walk through. The first is financial leverage, and this is kind of what I initially thought of when I saw Todd's book, and specifically with real estate. Like, okay, I know I can borrow money to buy a house, I can put a tenant in that house, and hopefully if nothing dramatically goes wrong with that property, I can make a return on that, and I didn't have to come up with 100% of the capital required to acquire it out of my own pocket. Yeah, so financial leverage is kind of one of the myths, if you will, of leverage. Wealth is the compound growth of your personal resources and your financial resources. That's how all wealth is created, regardless of asset class, regardless of your strategy, your plan. It's always the compound growth of personal resources and financial resources. Now, the key here with leverage is it doesn't have to be your personal resources, and it doesn't have to be your financial resources. And what makes that so valuable is that's how you break open from the return on equity equation that governs most wealth growth. You can actually grow wealth without having equity. And that's how you do it through the business asset class, which your listeners are familiar with. The thing about financial leverage, getting back to financial leverage, is one of the problems with it is that it does increase risk. So understand this and how risk and leverage are connected. You have to go back to this wealth growth equation, which is why I was segueing over to it, which is wealth is governed by mathematical expectancy. And I'm not going to get all math on people. I'm not going to freak people out. But it's just, it's an equation that governs wealth growth. And it's probability times payoff. Now, adding that second dimension is absolutely key because it means that extraordinarily large positive payoffs and extraordinarily large negative payoffs have a disproportionate effect on your wealth growth equation. And that's why risk management is so key, and that's how it connects to financial leverage. The way a smart wealth builder works is they always build their plan for the big gain, the big win, but then they always guard for small losses. And by tilting with big gains and small losses – what happens is your wealth becomes inevitable. It's just a question of sample size at that point. And that's the unique thing about the business asset class for your listeners is the unusual thing about business asset class is you can be wrong 99 times out of 100 and still have all the wealth you need. You can't do that in any other asset class because the other asset classes, both real estate and paper assets, are the compound return on equity. Whereas business, you're literally creating equity out of thin air, and so it has unique characteristics how that applies to the wealth growth equation and financial leverage is you've got to tilt that compound return equation. You've got to tilt the expectancy equation. And that's done through managing the payoff portion because you can't manage the probability portion because the future is unknown, right? In the business asset class, for your listeners, they're probably used to lean startup principles, right? Yeah. So lean startup principles, which they're going to be very comfortable with, is a very smart way to manage risk because you're not risking a lot up front to prove out a model through iteration. That is really powerful, and I think that's actually empowering for, for people who maybe had a handful of side hustle failures or something like that, as I've definitely had my share. Like you said, the probability portion, I think there's some things that you can do in terms of market validation and to set yourself up for success on the research side before you jump in. But this payoff side is the upside potential, but it's also minimizing your risk. And the common characteristic of the projects that I've had that have done well is they've all started for probably less than 500 bucks. I think the most expensive business that I started was a painting business and it was $3,000 because I bought a pickup truck. But everything else has been started for much less than that. And so that's my worst case scenario. It's not like I didn't go out and borrow $80,000 to get the stuff 
off the ground. Like you said, creating value, creating something out of, off of sweat equity, basically. Correct. What you're doing is you're pointing out how you can start a business, launch a business for very little risk, a scalable business model that has the opportunity for a big win if you're right. And that's that disproportionate payoff that's key. And so you have to start it right. You have to originally plan a business model that can scale and go big when you get it right. And the reason for that is nothing else is worth your time, basically. Because if you go for small wins, if you develop business models that will only be a small win if you get it right, but it can also be a small loss, then your expectancy equation isn't favorable. What do you say to the person who's, well, I don't necessarily want a big business. I want, I'd be happy with 500 bucks a month, 1,000 bucks a month, or if I could make five or 10 grand a month and quit my job, that would be a huge win. Yeah, but 10 grand a month to quit your job if your total risk is 1,000 is still a highly tilted win-loss ratio. And 10 grand a month is not the actual payoff, right? That's just the monthly payoff. So your risk might be 1,000 to start it, but 10 grand a month over many years could be hundreds of thousands of dollars. And so now you've got that disproportionate payoff. I don't have a problem with that, right? You're still obeying the principles, the math principles, which are inviolable, right? You have to do that. But then you can take it even further and go, well, let me look at this business model. Supposing I launch the business model for five grand a month, that's my original intention, but I have a second layer of that business model. If I get it right, I could actually scale it. So let's take my business as an example. It started out as a boutique financial coaching practice because I just wanted to work with clients and prove out whether I could actually help people. I didn't want to go off and start designing products and books and stuff if I didn't actually know what I was doing. And so I worked with coaching clients for almost two decades, one-on-one, proving out everything I teach. So that business model is not scalable. It's a small win. But it was always designed up front. Doing the one-on-one hours for dollars work. Yeah, I'm trading time for money, right? It's a service business, so it it doesn't scale unless you bring in a lot of employees, which I don't want to do. It's not worth the headaches for me. The intention all along, though, was to prove out all the instruction and then convert it into a scalable business model, which is what I'm doing now with books and courses. So I take the knowledge that I developed over those two decades of teaching people one-on-one, proving out all the models, and then I scale into products and courses and then build the marketing platform from there. It was a win originally in the service business, but now it goes scalable as it gets productized. So there can be phases to the business model as well that you think through in advance. Okay, I like it. Let's move on to the next form of leverage. All right. Well, time leverage is the next one, and that's the second one that's intuitive for most people, right? So what you're doing is you're leveraging other people's time so you're not limited to just the 24 hours in a day. And the key about time leverage is it's ultimately your scarce resource, right? And for most people, their income is connected to their time, which is a limiting factor because they can only trade so much time for so much money. Time leverage breaks that income to time connection along with systems leverage and some of the others that we'll talk about. And so some characteristics about time leverage that's interesting when you go to apply it, the first place you want to start is the easy point, which is productive time. For most of us, we don't have that much productive time. Research on Fortune 500 CEOs show they might have a half hour of actual productive time out of a day. The rest is tied up in communications, meetings, maintenance activities, whatever. For you and me, it's email and managing schedules and who knows whatever else before we get productive time. A half an hour a day, that's depressing. Yeah, it's really bad. The funny thing about productive time, though, when you rescue it, is if you rescue an hour or just two hours in a day, you might double, triple, quadruple your total productive time, which then multiplies your output and multiplies how fast you achieve certain objectives. And so one of my favorite sayings is, if you want to know how fast somebody will achieve any goal, look at how much time and money they spend dedicated to that specific goal. 
because the amount of resources that are dedicated to it. Well, with leverage, it doesn't have to be your time and your money that's dedicated. So then you can further accelerate the whole process of achieving the goal. Did you know that roughly half of Side Hustle Nation hasn't started their side hustle yet? If that's you, I get it. Starting and building a business is tough. It takes more than just an idea. There are tons of moving parts, and it's a bit like trying to assemble your airplane in the middle of takeoff. Thankfully, our sponsor, Taylor Brands, is helping Side Hustle Show listeners make that leap and make it all a lot easier. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, making sure you have everything you need all in one place. Think of it like your behind-the-scenes partner for things like LLC formation, licenses and permits, getting an EIN, setting up your business bank account, bookkeeping and invoicing, insurance, logos, trademark protection, and a lot more. Taylor Brands helps you handle it all seamlessly. And to get you started, Side Hustle Show listeners get 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans when you use our link. That's taylorbrands.com slash side hustle. Taylor Brands, like a tailor for your clothes, T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A. A-N-D-S.com slash side hustle. Start your business journey today with the help of Taylor Brands. When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over 3.5 million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors. And what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets. And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So I originally, when I saw time leverage, I originally thought, okay, this means outsourcing. This means freeing up my time. But it sounds like there's, even before you get to that point, do this audit on your own, where your own hours are going and say, okay, how can I improve first my productive time and then bring in some help for the rest of this stuff? Absolutely. So that's why the starting point of productive time, because see, if you go to outsource, you're paying people. And if you don't have it organized yet, it can be just a waste of money. You've got to know exactly what your business model is and how you're outsourcing to leverage your time. So that's why you start with productive time first to rescue it. It costs you nothing. Anybody can do it, right? And so that's the starting point. Then the next step is what you were talking about. You start delegating projects. And notice I'm using that term very specifically, projects. So now projects can be delegated out, like you said, with outsourcing, employees, whatever. And then the third step, is you delegate processes. And so that goes from linear leverage to multiplying leverage, right? Because when you do, when you outsource a project, there's a start and a stop point. There's a teaching point. There's metrics. There's all these things that have to go into each time you outsource or you leverage other people's time. When you do a process, you only dedicate those resources one time, but they can go on and on for months and years if they follow an ongoing process in your business. So now you're ramping up your leverage, right? That's that much more valuable. And then finally, the next step or the fourth step in increasing time leverage is where you substitute 
systems or technology for human time. And so that would be the fourth step. And that's once you've got the standard operating procedures so tight that a system or technology can implement it for you. And that's really strong leverage at that point. So an example for you and me would be mail lists, certain things in podcasting, whatever. Like we're going to be having this conversation with each other, but we're going to reach thousands and thousands of listeners through the power of podcasting. That's what you mean by a technology time leverage? Close. Close. Actually, I would categorize that as marketing leverage, which we can go to if you want. But you brought up an important point, and that is once you start looking at leverage, these demarcations of the six types of leverage are kind of half truth, half fiction. I did it that way to organize it so people can compartmentalize it, understand it, and understand these different types of leverage and how to use them. But what you find in practice when you apply them in your business is that one leads to the other leads to the other, that the lines between them are kind of gray. They're all connected and they all, it didn't start out that way. It started out very much like brute force. I'm going to do everything myself. And then you kind of get to this point where you're delegating this process. You're going to define this process one time and somebody is going to run with it for months or years at a time. That is awesome. Like I could spend half an hour making this documentation video and then never have to worry about that again. Fantastic. Now I'm curious, do you have any tactics or or tips like on how you're able to reclaim those hours because so many side hustlers are just time is the bottleneck it's just like i'm pressed for hours i get an hour a day to work on this stuff if i'm lucky and before you know it it's out the window so first of all it's hard let's not sugarcoat it i call it bridging where you're trying to bridge from one income source to another so like in my business it was bridging from the time for money income source to products i was using the time for money to pay for the product development in the early stage And it was just a lot of hustle. That's why you call it side hustle, right? It takes work. So we're not going to sugarcoat it. We're not going to pretend that it's not hard. It is hard. So with that said, a good tool for doing it is you track, you bring out time tracking, and you track everything you do during the day. And you identify whether or not it's taking you towards your goals or away from your goals. And then you ruthlessly start eliminating everything that's not taking you towards your goals. Later on, you can add stuff back in and you can be a little less stringent on your time. But during the bridging stage, when you're trying to get the hustle to start paying your bills, you have to work hard and you have to cut things out that aren't absolutely necessary. And it might take a year or two, but that's okay. I mean, most entrepreneurs go through that phase. I mean, is that your experience? Yeah. And I'm actually going through another time tracking exercise as we speak. And it is, it's eye-opening. I find I'm more effective in the moment doing it because I'm like, okay, now I'm on the clock. But then also you're like, you look back at the end of the day, you're like, why did I spend so much time on it? Like it makes you become brutally honest with where those hours are going. Here's the other thing about time is that it's very amorphous. And that's kind of going to what you were talking about. You'll look at activities and you'll go, how the heck did that take me that long to accomplish that? And then other times you'll be hyper productive, right? You'll sit down, you know, you got an hour to get something done and you just sit down and you crank it. And so people have to tinker with this a bit and find out what works for them because everybody's different. If you put a deadline in front of me, I just fold up and die. I would sooner I would sooner fail and walk away than deal with a deadline. I am like the world's- That's really surprising. Yeah, I'm the world's worst guy with a deadline, but I am Mr. Methodical. If I'm creating something and I care about what I'm creating, which is what I'm doing with this business, I just plot away at it and I'm very organized and very strategic And I'm just kind of like the tortoise and I just keep going at it. Nothing's wasted. And over time it wins, right? But there's other people that's not the effective path for them. What do you recommend for people who have trouble with that shiny object syndrome and saying no? Because that is definitely something that I've been afflicted with from time to time. 
clarity of where you're going and what your purpose is and what you're trying to create. It has to do with a clear plan. I mean, that's what I teach in the wealth planning course is all of this starts from clarity. I'm not disciplined or anything. There's a great line that says discipline is just remembering what you want. You have to get really clear knowing exactly what you want and why. You get that clarity and then you create the plan. And then what I do is I make everything that I consider changing have to report to my plan because it's not like I'm sitting around twiddling my thumbs with nothing to do, right? There's more opportunity in life and there's more fun things to do than I'm going to have time to do. What I do is I have my plan. I know exactly what I'm doing. I know how it all fits together. And then when something comes along that looks like a bright, shiny object, it has to report to my plan. In other words, I look at my plan. I go, okay, what thing am I throwing out? What is better than what I've already got? And if it can pass that test, then great. I have flexibility. I can change it. But almost nothing passes that test. In the end, it was just something that got you excited. And the usual rule is every business, what is it? It's the Irma Bombeck quote, the grass always looks greener on the other side of the toilet bowl. <laughs> I haven't heard that one. And I haven't heard discipline is really just remembering what you want. That's actually really powerful. So thank you for sharing that. Next on the list, we have technology and systems leverage, which I think will go hand in hand. And there's a lot of overlap between these, but goes hand in hand to running any type of business. There's going to be some way to leverage today's tech to make that easier for you. Yeah. Basically, if you want to own your business rather than have it own you, then you have to remove yourself from the production equation. Ultimately, if you're the production equation, then your income only scales relative to your time. You have to get yourself outside of the production equation. So obviously, one of the key ways to do that is time leverage, which we already talked about. The other one is technology and systems leverage. As we talked about in time leverage, you're replacing production with technology and business systems, but there's a process to that, right? So you always start with mapping standard processes in your business, right? So anything that repeats is game for this. If there's any activity that repeats in your business, it should be systematized. It should never be done independently each time. So you first map it out, and then what you do is you integrate the technology to replace human time on it. It's kind of like you're talking about with your bootstrapping. You always figure it out yourself first. And then what I do, so I have an assistant, and she and I just have a standard way we approach this every time. So every new thing we do, I start it because it's my business and I'm responsible and I have to understand it to make smart decisions. So I'll start it and I'll kind of examine it and I'll get it going. And I'll probably go through one or two iterations of it, which takes me through the 80-20 rule, right? I've got kind of the bulk of it done. Then I hand it off to her as a business system. And then what her job is to completely map it. So I'll start mapping it enough to hand it off to her. And I hand it to her as a Microsoft Word document with instructions and if-then statements and all that stuff. Now she has a guideline that she works with, and then her job is to improve that document. That's part of her job description. So she'll take a process, and then she goes through and she has to improve it as she continues to learn and develop it herself. And so from there, now I, as the owner, have an understanding of it, and she has a full responsibility for it. And then anytime she updates the standard operating procedure, she sends it to me with highlights. So I know what she's changed in it. I can see how it's improving with time. Yeah, I think this is really important to have these SOPs as living documents, just because this is the way that you did something may not be the smartest way. I remember when I was running my shoe business, my assistant was like, well, did you know if you did it with four tabs open, you don't have to wait for them to load in between these different campaigns? Or did you know you could use the little text expander to fill the stuff in way faster instead of typing it out by hand every time? I'm like, that's fantastic. I don't know why I never thought of that, probably because I'm neck deep in it all day. <laughs> and meanwhile, why don't you add that to the documentations? I definitely like that as a tech in a systems 
leverage. Well, the other thing I was going to say is then it also helps you in terms of having security so that all the knowledge isn't contained within the employee. It's contained within the standard operating procedure. Some employees will rebel against that a little bit because they feel like it removes their job security. Me and my sister are way past that. She knows that she has great job security. As a matter of fact, I pray she never leaves me, right? Because there's so much knowledge beyond just the standard operating. I mean, she knows all my content. She knows, there's no job security issues. But some employees will, will feel that concern. And so you have to manage that. You have to help them understand that this does not in any way jeopardize their job security. You have no need to replace them because there's a standard operating procedure. But if they should get hit by a truck, I absolutely have to have that because I do have to replace them. And when that day would occur, I need all this mapped out to shorten the training time. The last part on the systems leverage that I want to throw in there is that the final step is designing audit controls into your systems so that there's checks and balances, so that there's ways in which it catches itself if it fails. And that's probably beyond the scope of this, but that's just kind of a third step for people to understand is out there. My best one of automation backfiring was I was using a service called Fancy Hands, and I had it set up so like every time an email hits my inbox with this subject line, send a request to fancy hands with these instructions. And what I didn't realize was they would send back a confirmation, hey, we got your task request using the same keyword string as the subject line. So it created this infinite loop. And by the time I got back to my computer, there's 57 of these things had gone off and it burned through my entire account's worth of credit. But it's a learning curve. (laughs) And I still use if this, then that to kind of automate a lot of delegation where I can just drag something into a particular folder in Dropbox and that automatically triggers a task for an assistant and stuff like that. So that's what I'm thinking of, how I'm using technology and systems leverage. And each one of those, it may save me just a couple minutes or probably even less of firing off an email, but it's like something I don't even have to think about. It happens on autopilot. Well, I'll, I'll just go on to say there's very little in my business that isn't systematized. Yeah, it sounds boring, but there's freedom in having some processes for this stuff. And I was resistant to it for a long time because like, I was doing it. I was like, I don't need to do it because I know how to do it. And then as soon as you bring somebody on and as soon as that person leaves, you really understand the importance for doing that. And even for yourself, for like error checks, there's the checklist manifesto and all this data to suggest that like, oh, if a surgeon or a pilot like follows this checklist, instead of just going from memory, they're going to be safer. There's definitely some value in that. Yeah, what I, what I always say is there's freedom in structure. The great example is music, right? There's definite structure to music of what makes music music and makes it sound beautiful. And if you break that structure, you have a cacophony, you have noise. And it's the same thing in a business. If you want your business to operate like beautiful music, you need structure. And that's what standard operating procedures and business systems create. And there's layers to this, right? Because when you bring in the technology leverage with systems, as an example, like with my email list, and autoresponders, right? So I have evergreen sales funnels on the website that automatically service people, deliver value, and convert people into buyers. And I have the email autoresponder that takes somebody brand new to the site and indoctrinates them into the culture, the basic learnings, and teaches them a lot of the core stuff so they get up to speed on the site. So there's like all these different ways in which you can use them to serve people. And it's at a low cost point, which is the real key here. Because you build it once, but it can replicate thousands and thousands of times, if not millions of times. And so in the end, it's just tremendous time leverage on your part, which is why it was also part of time leverage. Yeah, lots of overlap between this stuff. So you mentioned the email list. We mentioned the podcast as a form of marketing or maybe communications leverage. This is the same thing. Instead of talking to someone one-on-one, it's broadcasting that message out 
on a podcast, on YouTube, on a blog where you're pulling that lever of, of communication. What else might fall under that category? You brought up a good point because nobody's good at all this, right? So like I would consider myself on network and relationship leverage. I would consider myself maybe a three on a 10 scale. I'm okay at it, but I just, it's not my natural bent. I'm not good at asking people for favors. I'm not good at leveraging other people's resources that way. It's just not my thing. I'm kind of more of an introvert and I just kind of shy away and I just soon put my head down and get the work done. And that's just my style. Whereas I'm probably a nine or a 10 on a 10 scale on systems leverage and technology leverage. I just think that way. It's how I operate. I can't help it. It's just my natural bent. And so it's all reflected in my business and the business model I pursue. The idea I want to communicate is nobody has to be great at all these. Again, just pick the starting point that excites you, the starting point where you can see the best opportunity in your business, and also pick a starting point based on an obstacle you face. One of the things you'll notice in our discussions throughout this discussion is that Every one of these leverage points is a solution to a problem or an obstacle that holds you back from success. And that was one of the surprising realizations I had when I first started teaching this, is if you look at any obstacle to your success, anything that's slowing you down or holding you back, by definition, the solution is leverage. Because it's an only an obstacle because you're lacking the resources, skills, knowledge, whatever it is to solve it. And so you're lacking something, and so the solution is to leverage that resource from someone else in order to solve it. Anyway, it's just kind of a really important thing as you're developing a business is develop that mindset around leverage to realize like it's a center point of how you develop your business, how you grow it, how you break through it, how you plan it. Yeah. One resource that I have mentioned on the show before is Brian Harris has this video called Figure It Out. Like your only job as an entrepreneur is to figure it out. And it's exactly what you're talking about. You're going to face an obstacle. Okay. You're going to figure out how to get beyond that. And then you're going to come... Do your thing and plot along until you come up to the next obstacle. And then your job as the entrepreneur is to, to figure it out. And what Todd is presenting is that these different levers are your ways around that obstacle. One that we just touched on that Todd said he was weak at was this network and relationship leverage, where sometimes you might not have the answer internally, but somebody else probably does. Maybe somebody in your network has that answer. Maybe somebody in the Side Hustle Nation Facebook group has the answer. For me, FinCon, where Todd and I met, is my favorite event of the year. And it's because of this network and relationship leverage where it's like somebody else has already figured out how to solve that problem. And here they are sharing that information with with the rest of us. And it's like going to conferences, doing different meetups and networking groups and Facebook groups. That's been immensely helpful, immensely powerful in my business. Yeah. Here's the funny thing about leverage. Everybody uses it every day. I mean, whether you drive the car, the clothes you wear, the phone you use, the energy systems. I mean, everybody's using leverage every day, the difference in people who become very successful is they're very conscious and purposeful about it. They consciously develop their wealth plan around it, their business plan around it. They design it to incorporate leverage at every point. They seek leverage as solutions to the obstacles that hold them back. They're very deliberate about the whole process. And I think that's one of the key things that separates success from mediocrity. And tell me about a time when you're, when you're stuck and you turn to kind of this knowledge and experience lever? Because I think a lot of people might be in that phase of like, well, if I knew how to do it, I'd have done it already, but I don't know. So I'm stuck. All right. Well, I'll, I'll do one that I just recently did, okay? Which is my writing is the thing that holds my business back. It's the clog because everything's in my head. It's my experience. It's my knowledge. And I have to get it out of me into 
an explicit format that people that can that can then use, i.e., knowledge leverage into the form of a product. Now, the problem here is writing, as you well know, takes a lot of time to do well. But what I figured out was that probably 80-90% of my writing time was getting spent on editing. Now, I'm not the world's best editor. I'm fine. I'm, I'm pretty decent at it, but I'm not great. There are people who are better editors than me. And so I kind of realized just recently when I was dissecting how much time, again, this goes back to what we talked about in tools for time leverage, I was dissecting how much time I was spending on editing as part of my writing process and it suddenly dawned on me, well, to hire an editor. Duh, right? And so just to show that everybody fails, right? I went through three editors before the fourth finally worked. So I failed three times on highly referred editors that just didn't match my style, didn't work for me, whatever. But the fourth one worked. And so I had little tiny losses with each of the first three. And now I've got what hopefully will be a big win with the fourth editor that will then dramatically accelerate my writing time, both on articles and on books and on courses. And so that would be an example where I brought in the knowledge or experience leverage of somebody else's expertise, in this case, editing. It's also time leverage. Because so you can brain dump content onto the page and have somebody else clean it up because that was taking up the majority of your content creation time. Yeah, yeah. So it's still my expertise that goes into it, but there's a lot of time that goes into crafting it really well. And there's huge value in having a second set of eyes on something, particularly a set of eyes that doesn't have the same expertise as me. So they're bringing a level of expertise more consistent with what my customer has. Okay, so they're like, yeah, that doesn't make sense or whatever. Yeah, they keep me from having assumptions and using terminology that may not be well understood and that kind of thing. And so it just makes it way more accessible for people. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I was thinking, in my case, using knowledge and experience leverage. like To get my first business off the ground, my original side hustle was the footwear comparison shopping site. I had no idea how to build that database and build that website. So it was like, I went to guru.com at the time, kind of a precursor to Upwork today and found a freelancer who had a development team who could get it done. It was leveraging his knowledge and experience and expertise instead of plotting away on, this was pre-YouTube, like trying to figure out how to do this stuff by myself. So that's one, still delegating technical help today to do the stuff that I simply can't do. Letting other people do what they're good at and trying to focus on removing my own bottlenecks. Like you said, the writing is what's holding your business back. The content creation is still very heavily reliant on me and my business. And so it's like, okay, you're giving me some ideas with the editing service and maybe some opportunities to delegate a little bit more of the content creation since mine is not as heavily weighed on my own expertise. These are tools, these are kind of frameworks to think about getting over that hurdle, getting past that next obstacle in your business. Lots of different ways to do that. You can pick up the book, The Leverage Equation, available on Amazon or wherever fine books are sold. Check Todd out at financialmentor.com. Like I said, the smartest guy in the room when it comes to building wealth. And I'm getting his indoctrination sequence as we speak. I just find myself nodding along. I'm like, okay, I get I get this. You know, you're making a lot of sense. Again, financialmentor.com. Todd, thank you so much for joining me. Let's wrap this thing up with your number one tip for Side Hustle Nation. Take leverage seriously. Really build it as part of your central thinking process in how you run your business. When you do that, you'll find that things really open up for you. And it's not hard. Don't make it hard. Just find the one that's most tempting by dealing with the biggest problem in front of you. It's all figure outable. And that's all figure outable. That's right. One step at a time, one lever at a time. Todd, thanks again. And we'll catch up with you soon. 
This edition of the Side Hustle Show is brought to you by FreshBooks.com, the cloud accounting solution that's recommended by 97% of small business owners. This is Rob Eng, the senior marketing manager for FreshBooks, on their two primary types of users, who he calls the craftsperson and the builder. What we kind of call more of the craftsperson, uh, somebody who is a freelancer, who works on their own, and who has usually a subject matter expert in that field. So like a designer, a web developer, a consultant, or even a podcaster. And so what they're looking for is a way to simplify their life because their life is their work. And they're really passionate about their work. And they're trying to save time so they could focus more on what they love to do. And we know it's not necessarily accounting. The other one is more of that builder. So think about that agency or consultancy. And that person is looking for about scaling and for growth. They want to look at ways to increase productivity, understand where their business is going, how to scale it better. So we have features in there to help with collaboration with your staff or contractors and helping give a really robust report so you understand how projects are running and how to be more efficient. Visit freshbooks.com slash side hustle to start your 30-day completely free trial today. That's freshbooks.com slash side hustle for bookkeeping bliss along with rockstar support. Hey, entrepreneurs, we know that anyone with a side hustle loves finding new ways to save. So if your business takes you on the road, sign up for a free membership with Hertz Business Rewards. Work trips, client meetings, industry conferences with Hertz Business Rewards, you'll save at least 20% every time you rent a car. And you'll save on more than just the daily rate. Members earn credits redeemable towards free rental days. It's also free to add an additional driver if any additional coworkers come along. And for those Gen Z entrepreneurs out there, no young renter fees. Plus, sign up for Hertz Business Rewards today and earn three times credits during your first 90 days. So whether you're traveling for a side hustle or a main hustle, join for free at Hertz.com slash business rewards. Applies to base rate, taxes, fees, and options excluded. Additional terms and exclusions apply. Visit Hertz.com slash business rewards to learn more. All right, my top three takeaways from this call with Todd. Number one is to think about the specific obstacles in your way. This conversation made me think about what are really the limiting factors in my business. Is it my time? Is it the marketing reach? Is it the production system? Is it the offer? Probably all of the above. But once you recognize what's holding you back, you can apply the right type of leverage as needed or a combination of things. I remember right before my first son was born, that was the first time I started outsourcing the editing on this podcast. I was probably spending a couple hours every week, and that's probably me downplaying it. It was probably not where my time was best spent. The time tracking exercise I'm going through right now, and I've done a few times in the past, is really eye-opening for this. You can ask yourself questions like, what's holding you back? You probably have an inherent idea of what the answer is, but I found calling them out, writing them down, is actually really helpful in figuring out okay, how do I move past them? Not just in business, but in other areas of your life too. So that's takeaway number one for me. Think about the specific obstacles in your way. Takeaway number two is to map ahead. Todd described himself as Mr. Methodical. And in watching him grow financial mentor over the last few years, I can see that 100%. That's a very accurate description. It sounds like he's had this end game in mind from the beginning, which is a sharp contrast to me, especially in the case of Side Hustle Nation as a business. When I started, I had no idea how the blog and podcast would make money. It was just something I was excited about. I'm happy that it worked out, but I think what Todd is arguing for 
is that if you're in those early stages of your business, try and project out two, three, four years into the future and answer the traffic conversion economics questions. What do you sell? Who do you sell it to? How do you reach them? How much do they charge? That future thinking is definitely an area of weakness for me. I find myself too caught up in the week-to-week maintenance and operations. So creating some slack to kind of project ahead a little bit is a priority for me this year. So that's takeaway number two, a map ahead a little bit. Takeaway number three is discipline is really just remembering what you want. This is probably my favorite soundbite from the show, and it's attributed on Brainy Quote, at least to a David Campbell. Discipline is remembering what you want. And it goes back to the whole why behind your side hustle. Yeah, it's not going to be easy, but it's worth it for reasons X, Y, and Z. A big, powerful why is the strongest motivating factor. Where I've had businesses and experiments that flopped and I've had my share, it was largely because I didn't care enough. I didn't want it bad enough. So I didn't have the discipline needed to make it work. Discipline is remembering what you want. So that's your homework from this episode. Figure out what you want and the discipline to get there, I think will follow naturally. Once again, if you hit up sidehustlenation.com slash Todd, you'll find the full text summary of this episode and links to all the resources mentioned as well. That's it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen. And I'll catch you in the next edition of the Side Hustle Show. Hustle on.